Welcome back to Office Thursdays with another mini-sode of Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica, a retrospective on NBC's The Office. I'm your co-host Cameron DeLapp, and Colby is still in Africa. We invite you to join along with us as we watch and discuss every episode of NBC's The Office. So without further ado, this is Bears. Oh wait. Bears, Bears Beats Beats Battlestar Galactica. Bears Beats. Welcome back. I hope everybody's having a, a, a not so terribly hot summer. It's it's fucking unbearable. I may be speeding through this mini so today so I can get outside because it's it's just too hot. The sun is a setting before work and I need to go and cool a hoff. But here we are today to talk about season four. Uh, uh, I'm trying a little bit of audio difference in this recording as well, so we'll see if uh, I sound like shit throughout this whole mini so too. So. Let's get into it, shall we? Uh, season four, as we all know, we covered it extensively on the podcast. The season cut short by the writer's strike. NBC had ordered a full season of 30 episodes, and the writing and production staff remained largely unchanged between seasons. So it's, everything was set. The stage was definitely set for season four to be potentially the best season on television at the time, let alone on The Office. Like uh, Potential to be the best season of The Office. At a break. But I mean, it's a it's a good thing this is cut short by the writer's strike because, like I said, I'm trying to cut this one quick. Okay. Uh, I don't really have the writer's strike as an excuse. I'm just a procrastinator with a busy schedule, and it's it's too hot and nice out today. But, uh, but before we get into it, I have a clip I want to play. I've, I was listening to the commentaries in advance of this. And this clip made me really regret waiting until now to listen to the season four commentaries. Uh, uh, Rain Wilson's in this clip. And he answers a question I've long had about the show since doing this podcast. What happened to all the people answering phones in the background and, and running the copier and doing other random work to it really contributed to the ambient office atmosphere in those early seasons. But, um, but here he goes right out of the gate in, I think this is the money commentary. Uh, part of these minisodes, I feel like the advantages. Uh, you get to hear clips that you wouldn't otherwise hear from the from the commentaries if you don't have the DVDs. Um, a lot of people watch the show on Netflix. Why not hear a little bit of the, the, the actor straight from the horse's mouth here is Rain Wilson. We got working internet on the set now, and we always spend our time just surfing the web and looking at CNN.com instead of answering the phones like we used to in season one. If you look back on season one, everyone's like furiously answering Flipping phones papers, all the time. stapling things. No, I, I, that's what I do. I, I do serious work. I get into character consistently. You are updating yeah. your MySpace page. No. Looking at your fantasy I, football team. I I've been back there many I times. Don't remember Brian Baumgartner, The fans everybody. are so going to love a, you guys for those little... The fans do love them for those little tidbits. Uh, as a fan, I got to say. And, and, and while it is a little, you know, like I said, I think that it contributes to the office atmosphere in those early seasons. That's also a very accurate office as people just sitting around browsing the internet. It's starting to get into the modern era. So sitting around browsing MySpace and, and checking your fantasy football team, I did a very similar thing at my last job most of the time. But, uh, I mean, th there, there you have it. That's, it's a reasonable explanation, honestly. And it's, a, and it's funny that it comes from a real-life explanation that the actors were just browsing the internet a whole bunch. It's season four, though, I, I do hope that you went and, and listened to it. Or, hmm. I'm far too distracted to record a podcast right now. I do hope you went and watched season four at some point in the recent past. It's just too good. 
the show has clearly found a very comfortable pace. Doing this in blocks a season at a time, you can really see that they've it's it's a lot faster uh, than seasons one and two, but it's still, especially with these a bunch of double episodes, has time to really digest a bunch of stuff. Like I think part of this, and you'll have to excuse me for playing another clip here, but like the writers felt confident enough to have some big weird events this season that I think would really seem out of place with the first or second season and maybe even the third with how grounded the show was. Like, they largely stayed in the office. Uh, and if they did, there was a pretty good excuse to get out of the office. And now it's, we have, um, I mean, this will be another Rain Wilson clip, but he is talking about a gag that they got cut where he was going to have his head through a wall. I'll, I'll let him explain that part, but essentially there's a bunch of wackier premises in the show now not that it's a bad thing, but we get to see the the Dwight's bed and breakfast, for example, the <laughs> Dwight and Michael clubbing it up in New York while Ryan's all coked out with that Hobbit guy. It's there's definitely some bizarre scenes in the in the fourth and getting into the fifth season here. It's it's really setting the tone. But I mean, not now that I've had the time to to look this clip up, I was really just buying time there. Uh, here it is. I think it's just talking about a cut gag that was too weird for the show. Didn't this B story of ping pong go through a couple of permutations? Oh, my God. There... It started off as Dwight in the wall. Can I say that? Sure. Okay. In the draft that I wrote, it started off that Dwight, through a series of mishaps, got stuck in the wall. And then it turned into somehow <laughs> ping pong. And then a lot of different versions of ping pong. Dwight getting stuck in the wall? I didn't even know that. No, you never even read that. It never made it down. <laughs> it was Maybe. like a deer, like taxidermy. You're yeah. stuck in the wall and everyone paints on your face. <laughs> that sounds Small, funny. relatable office stories are what we tell yeah. on this show. Uh-oh. We're this always in trouble whenever we start to use that barometer. Like, so my retarded uh, Amish beef farming cousin runs a bed and breakfast. That's... That's okay. Right. And somehow, me getting stuck. Oh, uh, this, this is the best part, by the way. This is a. Uh... So yeah, that that would have uh, that would have been a really weird B story compared to uh, the ping pong was a real classic. So I'm glad that they kept it. But but oh boy, the cutting room floor of the office must be full of some weird stuff. But that's the kind of stuff that they were confident enough to write in the first place. And just yeah. But I mean, all antics aside, <clears throat> this season, season four, had a really important role to play. Since, like, a lot of the overarching plots had been resolved going into the season. Jim and Pam are together. The branches have merged, so downsizing isn't really a looming threat. Uh, Michael's with Jan, who's not his boss anymore, by the way, so no conflict of, no conflict of interest to add complications to that overarching plot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ooh. So it was up to season four to set the show in the right direction. Especially, you know, it goes, it's worth mentioning, it's the last season with producer and creator Greg Daniels, as well as writer Michael Schur. Uh, they really were able to keep on a lot of the writing staff, it seemed, going into season four from season three, but the same cannot be said going into season five. But I mean, also worth bringing up the writer's strike again. Season four had a lot of ground to lay, like I said, in only half the normal time. This still seemed to pull it off fantastically. The The opening four double episodes, like with, with the hindsight of the season being less than 20 episodes instead of the full 30 they planned... Those four opening four double episodes set a real great pace and really it gave us a bunch more episodes within the season to watch. Because what would it be like fourteen or something without them? But I mean, the season also there's like a, there's like a, I don't know this is a great season. There's a satisfying amount of 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 continuity, which I think is also great credit that they keep on most of the same writing staff. 
but there's all these there's all these running gags. Like apparently there was uh, it was meant to be that Michael invites Jim and Pam to dinner every single episode, but it was cut down to just launch party and money. And and that's just such a great running gag leading up to dinner party. And then you get to dinner party, and there's all these great references in Michael's condo to all these <laughs> all his money problems and his struggles with Jan, and it's just oh boy. Uh, that's just the visual gags. And then uh, Pam knowing about Dwight and Angela before Jim, that that great revelation. Uh, I don't see Dwight, that, that really short running gag, but it was a fun one where Dwight's cat that he tries to gift is re-gifted by Andy to Angela in, in the middle of that whole love triangle thing going on. I mean, there's definitely more that I'm missing. There'd probably have been a lot more also, if not for the writer's strike. Just saying. Worth mentioning. But really, like speaking of the writer's strike, I'm I'm not really going to be delving into that today. We already we definitely covered it in our past episodes from around then, and I haven't really gone back and re-listened to what it is that we covered exactly, so I'm not sure I can even think of much more to say about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> just a uh, moving along on that one. Uh, season four uh, mainly, I could talk about because um, we're in the we're in the 2010s now how much there is a, a, a trigger warning for this season for abusive or shitty relationships just with Michael and Jan all throughout. Any children of divorce or people that have been in abuse and abusive relationships will definitely cringe extra hard at dinner party, or they might laugh more. Yeah, I, I do think it's a healthy comedic exposure, and it's but it's definitely one of the reasons that dinner party is like the most polarizing and awkward episodes of the show. I mean, uh... It isn't just dinner party. The whole the whole season is just a roller coaster relationship arc with Jan and Michael because it was so it was so abusive and bad in season three, and to think that it's going to last all season four again is just. Mm. But I mean, it really does make it that much sweeter when Michael does meet Holly. He goes through hell with Jan, and you see multiple rock bottoms throughout the season. Dinner party itself, just to you know. The multiple rock bottoms of it all. Dinner Party itself comes hot on the heels of the episode where Jan stole Michael's diary and everyone at corporate plus Toby reads a copy. And we thought that was his low point. So the season ending in a very satisfying, optimistic way is just nice. Holly arrives and there's some real chemistry going on. Oh, but in honor or in, in the sake of getting this episode recorded and getting a little bit of fresh air outside of this hot ass studio. Let's move on to the <laughs> Let's move on to the rundown. Oh, my voice. Some of this weird recording I'm doing, I'm just fucked with the levels just because I've been sick for the past few weeks and it's really fucking with my throat. But we all know the rundown by now, folks. This is these are the must-watch episodes of the season. And I'm a feeling there's gonna be a lot of them this season. So let's jump on into it. I'll try not to list every single one. Episode one and two. Fun run. What a season opener. Uh, it's the first of four double-length episodes, which would have made perfect sense in a 30-episode season, but, you know, corporate greed saw to that. Uh, this episode's just fantastic. From when Michael hits Meredith with his car in the beginning, uh, he questions everyone's religious beliefs in the office. He gets that self-righteous indignation over the rabies diagnosis, like it was okay that he hit Meredith with his, with his car. Uh, uh, and then all of this is leading up to the classic office moment. Currently, the entire staff is out doing the Michael Scott DMSMTMC Rabies Awareness Pro-Am Fun Run Race. For the cure. <laughs> but of course, but let's not forget that also this is the episode where Dwight kills Angela's cat. And of course, Jim and Pam are confirmed to be dating. 
The Will They Won't They has finally come to an end, but not before the rest of the office gets their opinion in on the matter. I forgot how to talk there. A solid, fantastic, memorable way to kick off four double episodes. And now the second of the double episodes. Episodes three and four, Dunder Mifflin Infinity, or Dunder Mifflin Infinity. Ryan has returned as the new boss with a new idea to bring the company into the modern business world with a new website. And honestly, his idea is pretty good. On paper. But Michael stubbornly goes all ageism and drives his car into a lake. The season opener does a good job establishing all the new relationships for the season. Uh, Jim and Pam are together. <clears throat> Angela and Dwight are broken up. And Michael now lives with Jan freeloading off of him in his condo. But this second episode gets into the meat of the overarching plot. Uh, Scranton Branch versus Corporate. Or specifically Ryan. It's great. These, uh, the episodes of Ryan and Corporate also give a little more insight to the corporate structure of Dunder Mifflin. Uh, and, and it's kind of fun, the documentary following Ryan up there. It's like part of the documentary is the story of a temp rising up through the company. Like, it would be a very inspiring story if Ryan wasn't such a scumbag throughout the whole process. Uh, but moving on, episode five and six, launch party. It's the pizza episode. Fun, memorable episode where everyone debates the merits of good and bad pizza. Dwight manages to outsell the new computer, and Michael gets to humiliate Ryan in front of the whole company about it on his webcam thing. But not before Michael takes the pizza boy hostage and panics his employees about it and everything. They're all accomplices now. Uh, it all works out in the end. Episode 7 and 8 money. Another classic episode, the fourth of the hour longs. And it's a pretty serious one. We take a deep dive into Michael's financial struggles, uh, his strained relationship with Jan, and Michael Moonlights is a telemarketer to support Jan's lifestyle and all these condo renovations, but then is forced to quit by Ryan, declare his bankruptcy to the whole office, and hop a train to escape his problems. And, but it is a double episode, though, so this is also the Dwight's Bed and Breakfast episode. Andy has also begun courting Angela. Uh, he can be a horn dog and a romantic, folks. And Jim and Pam strengthen their relationship by helping Dwight get over Angela. Jam-packed episode. So much happens. What a first four episodes of the season. It's fantastic. Going on to the next must-watch episode. Episode 10, Branch Wars. Mm. You may have noticed I skipped local ad. I'm trying to be a bit more disciplined on the must-watch status of these episodes. And while local ad is a really fun and memorable episode, you know, Features a bit more knocking heads with corporate and Pam's dedication to her artwork. It's not necessarily a must-watch episode. Doesn't mean I'll ever skip it in a rewatch, though. Let's <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, Branch Wars, on the other hand, episode 10. It's too damn good to pass over on a must-watch list. It's incredibly funny. Zany antics from the panty raid to Utica. Jim's forced to confront his recent ex-Karen Filippelli. It could be a must-watch just on the merit of, of catching up with Karen Filippelli again, but the like, Jim hiding out with the fake mustache in the parking lot is just too good. It's one of my favorite episodes, even though it's you know pretty inconsequential to the overarching plot of the season as a whole. It's just nonstop laughs. And great Stanley episode, one of several this season. Uh, moving on to episode 12, The Deposition, and I'm, I'm so sorry we skipped another episode. Like Local Lad, Survivor Man is a fun episode, but perhaps not a must-watch. There's a fun dynamic between Michael and Dwight, leaving Jim in charge of the office, and he flounders for once, but it's, you know, it's probably not a must-watch. It's a fun episode. Uh, 
The deposition, on the other hand, is a certain must-watch. Very simple premise for the episode. Jan's firing season three. She's suing the company about a wrongful termination. And meanwhile, back at the office, it's the ping-pong episode, which I really do love antics-wise a lot more than than having Jim be the new Michael from the previous episode. It's fun, but, you know, this is a very Michael-centric episode, and I love it. They could have easily done a whole episode just on the deposition alone. And it really is a shame that this wasn't a double or at least like an extended episode. One of the best. Until you get to Dinner Party, episode 13. Oh. For a lot of people, this is not a must-watch. This is a very polarizing episode. Oh, excuse me, I have to keep me hydrated. This is ridiculous. Dinner Party, the first episode back from the writer's strike. It's been five months since the events of the deposition, and Michael and Jan's relationship has deteriorated to rock bottom, while providing the show with new peaks and highs of awkward humor. Buckle in, this episode's a doozy. Some people don't even like watching this episode if they're doing a marathon, but it is so important for insights into Michael's character and Jan's relationship, as well as some of the other burgeoning relationships this season, Jim and Pam, Andy, Angela. Dwight and his babysitter. Such an amazingly awkward episode from Star Defenders. It really is, though, uh, Melora Hardin as, as Jan is the highlight. It is such a memorable performance. Just her and Michael going at it I, all through that condo. But, I mean, just because she and uh, Jan and Michael break up doesn't mean we've seen the last of Jan. I don't know what else to say about the episode to justify the must-watch, other than you should probably watch it several times over. I don't know. Uh, if you can't stomach it once, just keep watching. It's exposure therapy. But but Michael's condo is stacked with little prop gags and visual gags and all sorts of things just everywhere. And references to jokes from throughout the show's run. There's more stuff to notice every time you rewatch the episode. But uh, we can move on after dinner party here to episode 15, Night Out. And I swear this is the last episode in the season I skip. I love chair model, but other than establishing Michael's loneliness and patheticness more, it doesn't really necessitate a must-watch status. It's got like a fun but not entirely memorable subplot about resolving that parking space issue. Really grounded for the office in this season four, but night out is the opposite of grounded for the office. We get to see Michael and Dwight clubbing it up in New York with a drugged out Ryan Howard. Meanwhile, everyone back at the office is working overtime to fraudulently enter sales on Ryan's behalf before getting locked onto the premises. It's a very fun episode. Uh, memorable not just for the for the night out in New York, but for Jim and the rest of the office's attempts for outside help. And Toby going too far with Pam uh, before just, I'm going to Costa Rica, jumping that fence. But man... Uh, just Ryan and the Hobbit and 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 Dwight being able to Dwight's somehow super attractive to all these random women out of nowhere when he's just it doesn't it doesn't make sense it's funny it's just uh, a fun little fun little character quirk of 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 Dwight's comes up again at Jim and Pam's wedding uh uh but yeah night out solid one even if it's a bit out there but uh <laughs> getting into a serious episode here uh we got to talk about episode 16, Did I Stutter? The episode where we had to retire Stanley moments because they do not get better than this. Uh, the episode is a real great look at like realistic inter-office conflicts. Uh, and, it's, and it's funny also, like after 
fighting so hard to keep Stanley in Branch Wars. It's great to see Michael come to his senses after fucking up that fake firing. Meanwhile, Dwight's ripping off Andy on his car. Pam's glasses get attention. Jim deals with an antagonistic Ryan who gets up in his business about Jim's job performance. But this one's uh, this episode's great because it has commentary on it that has Leslie David Baker. And he had some really interesting things to say about the episode and about the role at Lar uh, in general. So I'm going to play a few more clips from the DVD commentary. Because these are really hard to find online. I'm playing these straight from the DVD. And this is Leslie David Baker. I'm just going to play a couple clips of him talking about this episode and The Office. Leslie, I thought you were phenomenally well prepared for this. It really stood out, like how you knew your lines better than anybody ever knows them. I mean, last time we did DVD, I asked Rain, when do you get into character? And he said, halfway through the first take. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, after four years, when you've been getting a little, little bits and bits and bits, when you finally get a good, you know, meaty role, you have to go for it. So, you know, this had to be, and it was so well written and so much fun to do. Yeah. Well, we knew that we were going to challenge you as a performer more than you had ever been challenged and uh, we were so ecstatic after day one we were like he's bringing it he's nailing it and you remember that we were all hugging fun. you and stuff it was fun it was really fun um, just a good chance to get to work with Steve and you know we went into areas where you got to see the dynamic how these two characters can exist in the same office that's what friends do it's we did that a lot this season though. so yeah there's an insightful commentary there find, find another uh, find the other instance here I'm looking for it was like the preponderance of comments online were just about like, ah, oh, Toby, you villain. But it was wow. nobody, nobody intended it, and we didn't even see, didn't it see that the, coming. Yeah. Sure what's really well, don't get all defensive, all right? But I think what I found so interesting about this episode is that when people were writing in, they were talking about the fact that all of the people that you had had characterized as good guys, bad guys, that this episode shook all that up and that Mm -hmm. the crushes that you had on characters were challenged Mm -hmm. so that, you know, people normally would say, we feel so sorry for Toby. Oh, poor Toby. Then they turned and did a 180 degree. We can't stand Toby now. Or, oh, we like Stanley because he stands up. Then some of them said, oh, my gosh, he's attacking. Poor Steve. So you had that, you know, mm-hmm. those dynamics going on. So the crushes were definitely challenged. And Jenna, you oh, looked really so hot great. there. I got right? you. you took the glasses right. off. <laughs> and they trans- Here. Now this scene with Michael and yeah. Stanley, okay, I love your, it. Your topless scene. <laughs> oh, Jesus, forget it. Oh God, never mind. I love the scene with Stanley and Michael because there was another episode that we had done earlier in the season, uh, Pretzel Day, when you had um, Stanley and Michael sitting mm-hmm. on. They never made the final cut. They mm-hmm. were sitting on a bench eating their pretzels, and there was a camaraderie there. And then here you notice in this last scene when they're sitting there after the initial fight, then they come to this resolution of okay. We've got to be here. We've got to work together. And I love the writing. I love the the writing on this episode. It was so great in that it was just so real. And it reminds me of when I worked in the corporate sector. Just the dynamic, the interchange. It was just like having a flashback. Oh, yeah. This is is a great tag, too. See, it's always fantastic hearing from Leslie David Baker, the uh, actor who played Stanley. He's just clearly very enthusiastic about the role loves doing it it's always fun but uh but uh let's let's move on to the next one shall we it's job fair episode 17 and potentially not a must-watch episode but it's part of the final little arc of the season where jim's stepping up his sales and taking his job seriously now because he's also taking his relationship with pam more seriously and you know the whole thing is just kind of a fun sales call in the form of a golf outing with andy and kevin 
Great instance also of Michael being a tyrannical jester king and just kind of a fucking jerk to Pam at the job fair itself. Sparks another instance of Pam beginning to take her artistic ambitions more seriously. Maybe she will be going to that New York uh, art thing that Jan promised so long ago. But, you know, potentially not a must-watch, but then we're getting into the season finale. Episodes 18 and 19, Goodbye, Toby. Oof. A season with such a strong beginning and so much going on throughout could only have a big, huge finale, and Goodbye, Toby delivers. Holly Flax arrives as Toby's replacement. And immediately there's chemistry with Michael, despite, you know, his trepidations about the HR department. There's a classic bit where Dwight Hayes pranks Holly into thinking Kevin's mentally handicapped. Uh, uh, Phyllis takes over the party planning committee, gets extra funding from Michael's spite for Toby and Jim's proposal plans, throws one hell of a party. Then we get to the party itself. Andy hijacks Big Tuna's proposal for a reluctant or to a reluctant Angela. Only for Angela to go back to Dwight and get caught by Phyllis at the end of the episode. So much happens. And during all this, Ryan's been arrested for fraud. We find out Jan is pregnant from a sperm donor, and Michael, for some reason, takes responsibility. And Pam is getting into that new art program in New York. Oh, and Toby's going away. Let's not forget the, the title of the episode. Really signals a big change in the show. Uh, Michael has a new healthy love interest, replacing his biggest antagonist in the office. Pam is leaving to New York. Uh, there's a new, bitter, sloppy love triangle between Angela, Andy, and Dwight. It was already one going on, but it is sloppy now. And the door's really left open on how antagonistic corporate will be in Ryan's absence season five. Oh, I've been saying too many words. Who will replace Ryan? Surely he can't be as bad. <laughs> Charles Minor, you... Uh, what a finale. What a way to end the season. So many questions and things to look forward to going into season five. What will become of that proposal from Andy? When will Jim propose? What new ways will Michael cook up to self-destruct his relationships? If Jim wasn't around, would Toby have had a chance with Pam? <laughs> Solid shit. And I, I, I really can't get into the... I'm going to save the rating all these seasons and rating all the DVDs for the next episode, season five. Just compare all the first five. But we can still talk about the DVD bonus features. Because there's a, there's a couple fun ones here. That was the rundown, by the way. <laughs> I'm so... Trying to run through this here. Uh, 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 season 4 DVD, relatively light on bonuses. But the deleted scenes and bloopers are pretty great, as usual. The cast and the crew are clearly meshing together and having a great time by Season 4. There's one additional PSA that I won't play here. It's very short, but it would mean me switching the DVDs out. But it's Michael talking about rabies. And then there is a great nearly hour-long video of the 2007 office convention in Scranton of the writer's panel, where it's all the writers and producers from the show, most of them anyway, if not all, talking about uh, uh, the show, talking about the the process of, of, of writing and producing the show, uh, the difficulties that come up, the sticking to the documentary format. Um, makes me wish that I wasn't stuck in some fucking podunk town as a broke 17 year old in that year <laughs> i believe the convention happened partway through the season right before branch wars came out i want to say i'm i'm not going to play any clips from this because it is a it's an hour long whole thing's on youtube and honestly it's 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 more interesting and informative than this podcast you should really go watch it 
you know, I will I will play one clip which I just found to be too funny. And this is of course uh uh the writers including Mindy Kaling acknowledging the um the fan theory about about it's a really one-off joke but there's that fan uh, that that episode where they're reading complaints and there was the former employee who killed themselves and now you know I'm just going to let them explain it because they do a better job than me but it's it's about that theory. Cuz it sounds like it's something that they it's not just an online thing they've discussed it in the writers room clearly. Sometimes we'll make these um, these jokes that you just pitch as a joke, and then they have these enormous stakes that you don't think about till later. For instance, the Kelly Kapoor character has a sister who died, and that was a talking head that I think Jean and Lee wrote, which is now part of her backstory. That she's this horrible tragedy, but because she's not real, we think it's funny. So wrote the joke, but that's part of her story. And there's another thing which I think is so funny, which is in um, Conflict Resolution, our second season. They go around and there's a note in the, um, not a performance review, there's a note that was stuck in the box from a character named Tom. Tom said, I wish there was more outreach for people with depression. And Michael says, Michael's like, what is this? And then he's like, who's Tom? And, and then Phyllis goes, Tom, you know? So essentially what happened is a person who worked in an office, which is only 14 people or so, was incredibly depressed killed himself, <laughs> shot himself in the head, if we were to take Phyllis, what Phyllis said at face value, and it happened, asked for help, put a note in a box, and that happened a year ago, because Phyllis was a year ago. So if you time out the series, what we discovered was that his suicide happened a day before the pilot aired. <laughs> So there you have it, folks. It's the reason the documentary crew is there. Uh, what could have happened in this office to have forced Tom to kill himself? <laughs> that that was only a couple minutes out of it's I think fifty something minutes. The whole thing's on YouTube. If you don't have the DVDs, highly recommend watching it. Uh, the, the next fun thing on the DVD, I'm going to play a little clip of here because this one is only a couple minutes, and I'm going to play the thing in the entirety. And I. Honestly, didn't even look up if this was online because I just figured I could play this. So this is a, a, a it's like a summer preview of season four, and I I don't actually remember this. It's it's not like NBC had anything to watch in the summer, so. But it's nice of them to put the previews on the DVD because they did some funny original bits. So let's um, again, I wish I watched these because this would have answered the question: What happened with Karen? How did Jim break up with Karen? What did these people do in between the, this long summer where all this shit happened at the end of season three? I, I think it just goes through character by character, and they'll explain what, what they've been doing. And now, another installment of what The Office did on their summer vacation. I had a very interesting summer. My girlfriend moved into my crib with me, so that is very nice. I had an interesting summer. I got an infection from contaminated groundwater and almost died. Seriously? 
Yes, fact, an improperly dug out house is more dangerous than a loaded gun. <laughs> Your life is just so disgusting. Michael went through a phase this summer where he called me Jimmy. Said he always wanted a friend or a dog named Jimmy. That's what he told me. So this summer it was all, come on in here, Jimmy. Come into my office, Jimmy. Sit, boy. Sit. Heal. My summer was pretty good. Uh, I saw some great movies. I tried some new restaurants. Oh, and Jim dumped my ass and left me crying by a fountain in New York City. How was your summer? The new Pam is letting her hair down. I've been saying that for a long time, but I never actually did it. Then Jim called me a hypocrite, so voila. I'm already 30% more unpredictable. Saw Ratatouille, walked out of it, did not buy it. Um, Jan made me watch Why Too Mama Tambien, which means throw mama from the Tambien. Liked Ratatouille better. I went to the Poconos with a gentleman friend. He shot something. I don't want to talk about it. Bob and I finally received our wedding gift from Michael. It was a place setting, but not what we registered for. Um, we now have seven beautiful settings in white and one that's Transformers. Did I have a good summer? Hmm, let me see. I intertubed, starting in Scranton, down the Lackawanna River, to the Susquehanna, all the way to the Chesapeake Bay, and back. I took up water skiing, which is awesome. I love driving that motorboat. Turns out I have grandkids and kids. Everything changed. The whole world changed for me. I have a new life. I have new friends. Still here. I don't really remember much about Scranton. I think I dated a black girl. I don't want to talk to anybody about Ryan. Please, go away. Well, Kelly's been so upset about Ryan dumping her that she can't even talk. Everyone have a nice summer? Yeah? Have fun? Go to swim camp? Eat snow cones? Pony rides? Yeah? Well, summer's over. Time to get back to work. The Office is back all new next Thursday at its new time, 9, 8 central. And it starts big with hour-long episodes okay. for the first four weeks. Thank you. The new season of The Office, only <laughs> on NBC. The, I, I could have done without the music and the announcer voice, if I'm being honest. But but there you have it. There you have it. That was a fun little way to get into season four. I wish I played that at the end of season three. But there you have it. Uh, uh, there's actually a little bit to get into getting into the um, the exclusives on the DVDs. There's another round of exclusives on all these. If you remember from seasons one through three, Best Buy, Circuit City, Costco, they all like to release their own versions of the DVDs with exclusives on them. But here we go in a kind of a major one, because there are two that really take the cake. The first one is Target. It has a script for the dinner party episode, which I think all the they all have the dinner party script. Then it also included a notepad and a fifth bonus disc with the cast panel from the 2007 convention. For some reason, the DVD only features the writer's panel. And you can only find clips from people that were actually in the audience of the cast panel online. It's very short clips. Um, super rare. I can't find this thing online. Uh, Best Buy also had the script. And then this is the other thing. Uh, this is one I probably saw people get the most. It had the Fun Run wristband and t-shirt. And the, uh, the, the Fun Run water bottle. 
those were huge in my school. This is like this is only a few years after the Livestrong bracelets hit the scene, and charity wristband mania was at its peak. So it's a fun bit of merch mocking the trend. Then of course we have Circuit City and Costco getting boring with it. They both also had the dinner party script, but Circuit City had a stapler and Jello keychain, and Costco had a Dunder Mifflin business card holder. Yippee! Clear winner, I think, is the Target one. But that shirt is real. You can still buy the shirt and the wristband online. And the water bottle, I presume. But I can't find that fifth bonus disc with the cast panel anywhere. It's, uh, like, I think... I, I couldn't find the deluxe edition on eBay, but wherever you can find it. You know, there is cut-together recordings from somebody who is in the audience. And there's also, like, an abridged transcript of the cast panel on the Dunderpedia. Which I cross-referenced to make sure it's all the same videos and everything. But that transcript doesn't include all the questions and even the entirety of individual questions, but it does have some funny moments. Um, and also the, the video doesn't have all of the questions. It's missing most of the questions. It's, uh, the one I saw was in two parts online. It's under 15 minutes, and it makes me want to see the original even more if it's like a 30-minute or an hour-long panel like the writer's panel. Oof. And there's some funny clips. Like uh, 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 I'll just play a couple clips here. I'm, I'm going to play... Three clips. Angela is a complicated character. What steps do you take to get into her mindset? Ah. Uh, uh, Brian would say I just be myself. Huh? No. Um, I guess I ride Brian and Oscar pretty hard over there in a cat. And then it jumps around a lot, so I'm trying to find the next part where Creed is talking about his character's backstory here. When I first passed out in the back of a Greyhound bus in Los Angeles, I uh, woke up in Stratton. Ed truck found me eating out of a dumpster. Took me to a soup kitchen. Introduced me to a young salesman he had just hired, uh, Michael Scott. And they showed me the ropes. I was horrible at sales. They, they took a pity, pity on me, and uh, allowed me to go into quality assurance where I found a little niche. And that's 90 seconds. And basically, that's as far as I go, guys. I stopped carrying a long time ago. Great, great bit of improv from Creed there. Be on the show, I think it'd be cool. We're going to put you in the most hideous outfit you have ever worn in your entire life, and no makeup whatsoever. So, I'm like a crafty woman who was seeing Greg all the time and then he was busy with other things, and it was just sort of relentless over the course of the years. Just be like, hey, Greg, I thought maybe instead of this buttoned up puritanical outfit, I'd just be wearing like kind of a low cut pink top. I'd be like, I'm too busy, just do it. <laughs> so, I think that it was, um, I mean, I'm joking, but there was a, a little bit of me wanting to be a little bit less, I don't know that person really, the like buttoned up 25 year old girl, but I do know the kind of like frilly pink teenager girl. <laughs> As Greg said, a lot like my own personality. So, um, yeah, that's just been um, something that the show has, and I've been leading that crusade since the first season to try to, to make her into more of like a mall rat, which I guess is what she is now. See, so, yeah, that, that was Kelly on the evolution of... Uh, I'm sorry. That was Mindy Kaling on the evolution of Kelly. 
And, you know, the, 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 the transcript has some really interesting stuff on it, too. It's not complete or totally accurate, but there are some answers which aren't featured in those short audience recordings I found on YouTube. Um, Melora Hardin also talks about the evolution of Jan. Uh, Leslie David Baker answers a couple great questions about Stanley. I'll read a little bit here. <laughs> How does he... He says, hmm. I find myself biting the back of my tongue an awful lot to make those very dour and sour faces. I've heard more this weekend that you're smiling. My gosh, I never get to see you smile that much. We didn't know that you had a full set of teeth. You never smile so much walking around the convention floor. It's a fun, I really want to uh, uh, watch the whole clip. If you, listener, have any way of getting this to me, the, 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 the clip of this or the fifth season or the fifth disc from the Target DVD set, uh, contact me at bearsbeatsbgpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at bearsbeatsbgpod. And I think that this is going to wrap it up. We'll, we'll go into the in the season five recap in a few weeks about ranking these DVDs and ranking the seasons, maybe. But I mean, heck, for now, pretty solid season. I it, right now it's like I'm just a pyramid effect with three at the top, and then two and four are fighting for second place or third or uh, I don't even know. Fun season. Uh, so yeah, I, I, again I'll say it. Uh, hit us up at bearsbeatsbgpod at gmail dot com or on Twitter at bearsbeatsbgpod. Go check out Colby's blog, Willie's in Africa. Uh, he will be back in a bit, and I think we'll have a special announcement next week too for the fifth thing. I don't know, but <laughs> until next time, thank you for listening. This has been Cameron Delap giving you another episode of. Bears, 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 Battlestar Galactica. 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 Galactica.